0: Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi, Jennifer Moss, author of Unlocking Happiness, co-founder and board member of Plasticity Labs. How are you today?
1: I'm fantastic. I'm looking forward to chatting with you.
0: Yeah, this is this is going to be really great. Now, I've been a fan and follower for years. We've been on, I'll say, a similar speaking path. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite at your caliber yet, but that said, I do appreciate the work that you do and would love for you to share a little bit about your journey and, and perhaps what excites you most right now about what you're discovering.
1: So, I think, like every other human being on this planet, I've been on sort of an orthogonal path of a series of uh, post traumatic growth moments, uh, (laughs) dealing with life and stress and all the good things that happen in between. And I think what that's done, and probably why, you know, in our 40s, we're a little bit more self assured and resilient and and weathered and uh, ready for the world. I am in that place now where all of these. You know, pieces of the puzzle, I think, along the way have led me to a point where I am so passionately focused on getting people to understand that they have the skills to weather any state, both good and bad, but how they can optimize it and how that they can be better from the things that happen to us that we don't always look at as, as positive. And uh, my personal journey has been a big part of that. Um, I've, I've had, like any other person, uh, those moments where you think, oh, you wouldn't ever wish it on your best enemy. but when you go through it and you realize you are so resilient and so strong and you come out the other side and in a better, more you know healthy and positive and defined way, it makes you just want to shout from the rooftop. so So that's really what I'm focused on right now is giving that you know tiny bit of information to the universe in the best way that I can through writing and speaking.
0: Let's talk about your journey a little bit. And what I love about the puzzle analogy is is similar to this idea of a one degree shift. I mean, very rarely do we get to where we're going by making one left turn or one right turn. And very rarely is a puzzle built by attaching two pieces together. Usually it's a series of puzzle pieces that we put together and turns that we make to get to where we're going. But you mentioned this idea of resilience and seeing positivity in a time that can be very difficult in your experience perhaps maybe there's a story or something that you can share with us how is it that in a difficult time that you've faced you're able to see it from a different perspective you're able to see it from maybe a a place of gratitude or seeing the longer term vision and whatever it is that's happening to you at that time
1: I think what is so special about people that have had to build resiliency very young is that they tend to be quite mature. Handling these things where others, you know, in times where others don't. I mean, I look at my 20s, and, and I had a pretty blessed upbringing, so I didn't necessarily face some of those, you know, traumas at an early age. And what that what that meant was I was probably pretty selfish in my 20s, and you know, didn't have a ton of resiliency. Whereas you compare that to someone else, and it's very different. I mean, I look at a great example is when I was finished university, I got this really great job, and uh, we were in a place where I felt like, okay, I got this. You know, i started on my career, and my husband Jim got to the San Jose Stiles, which was great. We just said, let's move to California. Let's do this. But when I moved there, I couldn't work yet. And so I'd come from you know graduating university and uh, and having this great job and then saying, well, you know what, I need to work and I have to suck it up. So going back and waitressing again and feeling like I had to kind of step back and say, this is what you just have to do. But what happened in that moment working at that one restaurant, I had three jobs that I was holding at once and kind of working a bit under the table, was that I met someone that ended up getting me my dream job. They put me in a, and, and gave me a chance. And so the things that you Think you know, aren't going to really help you, they actually are hugely transformative Mm -hmm. in how you look at. You know your current state, or you predict your future state. You you know you go back to waitressing, and you realize everybody has a story. I mean, people thought of me differently in that moment, or assumed that I didn't have an education, or assumed that I wasn't employable. And yet, you realize that that's not true, and that gives you a lot of empathy, and it gives you a lot of sort of one degree shifts in your life mm-hmm. that makes you feel like you can tackle the new thing, the next thing.
0: The studies now are showing that we make 35,000 decisions a day, most of them subconscious. You were able to see an opportunity when you were waitressing and ultimately capture it. How is it then that you can create the time and space to see these opportunities that are presenting themselves in front of you when in the past, maybe when we use words like busy or swamped or stuck, perhaps we're just not or don't have the capability or, or can't create the space to realize the opportunities
1: that are right in front of us. It's definitely challenging. I know even, you know, as a woman who had children in the US and had only 6 weeks of maternity leave and uh, you go back to work and you're balancing both and then coming here as a new entrepreneur and basically having my child with me in the first week after giving birth and she's in the meeting rooms with us as we're looking for funding. I mean, we we make it work and we do I think have to give ourselves a break in those moments when we are forced almost to, to have triage in our life. You know, I always say that, you know, who's bleeding the most and I'll tackle that issue. And sometimes it has to be me that requires that level of, of support. And I think we need to stop and deprioritize the things that we think are important when they're really not. I did that about 18 months ago. I actually realized I was doing too much. I was feeling like, you know, again, as a woman, I need to take on more board roles. I needed to, as a female tech founder, I needed to make sure that I was advocating for other women in technology. I had these responsibilities to womanhood and I do really care about the advancement of women, but it was at my own detriment and it was it was not advancing me. And so we do have to take moments to see what are we doing right now and how can we narrow the scope a bit so that we can be aware. You know, when I was working those jobs, those three Jobs. I had no other real priorities, I think. I didn't have children. I didn't have a home, that I, a mortgage I had to pay for. I, I didn't have a career that I thought I was advancing. I was just doing that work and kind of living for everything else. And it right. gave me a, a moment to be able to look at what was really... Uh, out
0: there for me. Let's rewind 18 months then and, and let's talk about what that process looked like. What does it mean to stop and and deprioritize or perhaps reprioritize so that we can really identify what's important and what needs our most immediate attention? What, what did that process look like for you?
1: I took a massive shift. I was working as a board and as the chief marketing officer of Class C-Labs. I was the co-founder, so I was still doing those roles. I was speaking full time and I was writing a book at night from nine until three in the morning. And um, I was on two boards and I was in the women in tech, you know, on their board as well. I was doing too much. And so I left my day-to-day role at Plasticity. And I just meet once every quarter on the board and provide support there. I left all of my board seats. I obviously put the book out and, and then just worked on that um, part of the, the post book promotion and did speaking and writing. And I just went back to exactly what I had mastery over, which is writing and speaking And that was it. And and I mommed for a bit again. I mommed, and those three things became my priority. Family was first, and then it was my writing and my career, my speaking. Those two things. So I went from ten things to three, um, probably twenty things to three. And my happiness level is so high now. I was ironic. I was behaving ironically. I'm the happiness expert (laughs) that wasn't happy. And that's a big problem.
0: Yeah. So you figured out how to be happy. Then what what does it mean to unlock happiness? Tell us a little bit about the book and what you discovered in that process.
1: Well, and the book is really focused on the workplace, but it does actually go into sort of the traits that I try to follow the sort of the seven traits that I focus on daily. And the Plasticity Labs is really based on the concepts of neuroplasticity. So the idea of micro you know, habits being developed that are states that turn into traits and we can sort of rewire the brain to change our habits to make them become our steady behaviors, you know, move it from our conscious to our subconscious. So there are lots of things that we can do in the workplace. From a personal individual level, I focused on the seven traits of happiness, hope, efficacy, resilience, optimism, gratitude, empathy, mindfulness. And so really just incorporating tactics into every day of those seven traits. It doesn't need to be seven every day. It just needs to be Mm -hmm. one of those traits kind of every day and doing small micro-training like saying what made you smile at the dinner table every day. We go around the table and we ask everyone around the table what made them smile. One thing. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. so simple. We just do that every day. It's part of our habit that, you know, you develop healthy conversations. You talk about things that are positive. You change the language in your house. You know, we work on the golden rule 2.0. Instead of saying do unto others as they would have done unto you, we say do unto others as they would have done unto them. So it's about empathetic listening and hearing really how people want to be treated. You know, those are the just little things that are changing every day to make me think okay, how can I just be focused on my own mental health? And when you do those seven things, too, I mean, the, the altruism that comes out of it and the things that make us happy selflessly and selfishly uh, just start to permeate the rest of your life. And I find now that it is permeated. I mean, it's taken many years of working at this. All I would say, you know, my whole life working towards this sort of state of being and still is evolving. It's going to take me a lot longer to get to that point where I really feel like, you know, I've got it all figured out. Scientists yeah. say 70s are our happiest, right? On really? the curve, on the U-, U curve, 70 is our happiest time in our lives. A, so,
0: lots to look forward to. It's so
1: all up from here, Eric. <laughs>
0: um, I was listening to uh, one of your talks, and you were, you were mentioning something about Google and a lot of innovations and creations that came out of the innovation team, whether it be Google Maps or otherwise. And one of the key factors to the success of these individuals was being nice. Can you unpack that a little bit? Okay.
1: Yeah. so they did this huge investment in data gathering. They Project Air stopped did it for four years, and they still are looking at it. This was you know a few years back. but they wanted to understand what defined the top most high performing teams so they looked at 181 teams and assessed what is in the secret sauce of these super mm-hmm. super high performing teams about like top 10 top 20 and they thought oh it must be you know their speed of coding or maybe it's the school they went to or their upbringing or you know whatever it's that they are married these all these different assessments that they thought were going to produce the answer to their big question and they found that it was emotional sensitivity and turn taking in meetings that made the happiest, highest performing, most successful teams, the ones that build all the best innovations. So they put out this big press release that said, you know, aha, being nice is the key to success at Google. So I think, you know, it was really great because they took data, which is so important, and analyzed data. And so you can't combat that. I mean, it's just, that's just what it is, is being nice is the key. And so it goes to show that in all areas of our of our life. You know, grandma's rules apply everywhere, sure. you know, workplace success and metrics, you know, the metrics that really matter in organizations. We, we want to overcomplicate it because we're humans and we think, oh, it's a, you know, must be trickier than that. But no, it's just being a good person, being kind, being nice, giving people a chance to say what they want to say in a meeting. That's what makes you innovative and successful.
0: Perhaps as our as our last question, or, or as we start to wrap up, what is it that we can do within our workplaces if we're on the front line, or we're a middle manager, or we're a director, or, or anyone in between? What is it that we can do to be not just a little bit nicer, because I think think we know how, and that's just a choice, or I'd like to think we know how, but what is it that we can do Mm -hmm. to create a a greater sense of belonging or that we can increase a sense of trust on our team so that perhaps we remove some of the friction uh, to being nice?
1: Well, I think, uh, and as a writer and speaker, language is so key inside of A workplace environment like language of optimism saying things around the team like you know i get to versus i have to Mm -hmm. um, making people feel like you're connected to the values don't you know don't say always you know i'm always turned over for this job or i'm or passed over for this job or you know i'm always the person that you know doesn't get to sit with someone at lunch start removing that permanence and and trying to use language that makes everyone feel included and There's a lot of biases that we have. There's a lot of um, sort of blind spots that we have in our biases and it's about trying to use the right language that's inclusive and and connected and uh, frames a more positive environment and and that contagion will spread because kindness and happiness are contagious. Gratitude is contagious and we can flip a bad culture around just by making some small shifts. Small one degree shifts, right? One degree shifts. That's right, Eric.
0: (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to share with us today? Any final words of advice?
1: Only that you know, you mentioned that uh, you know you're speaking about the future of work more, which is really exciting for me. And you know, I, I'm part of the UN Global Happiness Council, and we go to Dubai every year, and there was the World Economic Forum had a head there from and he just left Davos and said what was so exciting about the future of work is that we're about to go into the imagination age. And the information age is over and the industrial age is over, but we're, we're now in the into the imagination age. And I think this is where social emotional intelligence is going to be more key than ever before and you know if we want to make sure that we're not obsolete as an organization we need to start thinking that the imagination age is upon us and how do we get our people there and that means you're going to have to um, increase their happiness or there'll be no imagination available.
0: Jennifer this has been incredible we'll have all of your notes at the bottom of the episode and I just want to say thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me it was great chatting with you Eric. thank you again.
0: For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E R I C T E R M U E N D E.com. And click the podcast
1: tab. Thanks for listening.